Hello, and welcome to Jag Bags, a discussion of all things pop culture. I'm Mike Byer. And I'm Len Foote. And welcome to the program. We are coming to you live from the tumultuous studio audience in Woodridge, Illinois. And tonight we have a very uh, special uh, guest. Um, Chris Markham is a Chicago actor, Facebook political correspondent, and loyal <laughs> Sox fan who joins us tonight to talk about one of his favorite musical acts. This is a band that has sold more than 35 million records worldwide. In fact, they're much more profitable today than at any time while they were actual functioning unit, mostly through the tours of their various band alumni. Of course, we are talking about the Grateful Dead. First of all, Chris, welcome to Jagbag. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. So uh, this is a particularly timely podcast, uh, seeing that uh, Dead and Company were at Wrigley and uh, you were at the uh, show. Uh, how was it? Oh, it was fantastic. It was, oh man, just from the moment you get there, the uh, <coughs> that whole new thing they put Gallagher way that's in front of the marquee yeah. at Wrigley Field, they had a band set up that was jamming and everybody was just mobbing in there. And but everybody, but there was a really great vibe. That's really what pulls you to a dead show, as opposed to maybe maybe a different kind of concert. Is uh, is that real community vibe where everybody's just happy and grooving? And yeah. uh, and the way they did the vax thing was I thought was great because as soon as you get into the the main area, they have a they have an entry point with a, a very you know short bag check and uh, walk through the detector but then as soon as you get there then they have these people with big flags that says vax squad and they have this arm full of wristbands and so they take you over to this other spot nearby and when you show your vax card along with your id they put the the wristband on you and you have to have the wristband to go into the concert so Uh, everybody was vaxxed and so that was really great that was good that is but just uh, beyond that even um I mean, some of the best things, especially with this new band, especially now that John Mayer is part of the band, um, there's a whole new crowd coming. And so there's a lot of new deadheads and, and young heads and there's still the old heads. Now there's a, you know, like the Don Henley saw deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. There's some there's some, you know, older guys that were wearing merch that was like really fancy merch, you know, that's great. Um, like a Henley with just with just the most tasteful little dancing bear. Uh, on it and his and his belt was like needle pointed steal your faces all around it <laughs> but other than that he was just like you know any any older gentleman that has a lot of loot yeah but like, spends uh, it on uh on dead merch and yeah and, but then you got that guy standing right next to what deadheads call wookies or wooks and those are just the dirtiest patchouliest um dreadlocked hippies that are the more memes, there for the yeah, they're more, they're more there for the for the party scene than the music. I was I was well known as a Wookie uh, in the nineties. <laughs> Wook, Beave the Wook. So here comes Beave the Wook again. Just take a shower, buddy. God. Yeah, yeah, man. Take your whippet balloons and go somewhere else. <laughs> I feel like dead shows. First of all, how's Bob Weir sound? Bob Weir sounds great. He was in great voice. Um, his daughter Monet. 
um, had been on him to get a TikTok. So he started a TikTok. And a lot of it is workout videos uh, that he does like before shows or the day of shows. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, he's got like one of those long, like it looks kind of like a sledgehammer, but it's just a, a big heavy ball on the end and he swings it around. Uh, and, my friend, uh, my friend, Bruce Hollett, who I believe follows you on, on Facebook. And he's a guest also of the program. He said that if he tried to do Bob Weir's workout program, he would uh, collapse about halfway through. Absolutely. Very uh, impressive. <laughs> it's insane. And so, yeah, he sounded great. And um, it was the last show of the summer leg of the tour. They're going to start back up in October. But uh, they, this was the last of the summer tour. And that's been kind of the way that every time I've seen him at Wrigley, I saw him in 2017 and 2019. And it's always been the last show. And typically on the last show, they just pull out all the bangers. And so, I mean, the set list was pretty great. Re you know, especially the second set was amazing. Yeah, so. um, they went through or Bruce went through the set list with me from Saturday night and it sounded like they played most of the hits and like just a couple deep tracks. Yeah, Little Red Rooster in the first set was a bust out. That's the first time they played it. Yeah. This tour. Um, but the, most of the other tunes they've played, uh, and some of them very recently, um, but... That's the one good thing about dead shows too, is when you go to see a dead show, you know, I look, you're an Elvis guy like me. And yeah. I was really excited when that live at the continental box came out. It had like 18 concerts from that right. venue. Right. It was, it was the same set list 18 times with the same stage jokes, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, and a lot of bands <laughs> like that. You can go see them in one town, you go see them in the next town. It's going to be pretty much the same tunes. Right. But the dead really makes their bones on no, no two shows are the same ever. Which is pretty uh, amazing. We'll get to the dead's live show in a bit. And uh, I mean, we have a lot to cover. Want to make sure we get to it all, but the, the their live shows are obviously their bread and butter. Um, well, I did want to, uh, you know, now that John has joined the group, they have a drum space section in the second set where they just, you know, there's this drum solo for, 10, 15 minutes and then some psychedelic music. Yeah. Well, Saturday night coming out of that, coming out of that psychedelic space music, it started, started getting really jazzy. What? Yes. In yes. fact, it did. There was, there was definitely a jazz beat happening. Oh, everything, oh. everything was getting hip. Oh. And uh, all of a sudden John Mayer starts playing and you recognize that they're playing Miles Davis. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Finest show ever. <laughs> So yeah, oh. I, I I thought that was pretty cool. Oh man, just but, yeah. a little not as cool as Len thinks. But uh, <laughs> but he would have uh, been more he would have been more impressed with some Brubeck, I think. <laughs> Len is like a Brubeck guy. He he confides that in me privately. <laughs> no, I do not. No, I do not. <laughs> no, it, you know it's funny. Um, I was reading up on uh, Dead and Company. And they have, in the last five years, they have grossed $250 million wow. in wow. concert <laughs> revenue. I mean, unbelievable. I was watching a recent video of, of a performance. I think it was maybe the one in Deer Creek at Indiana uh, last week. And John was wearing a watch that is worth like $600,000. <laughs> Because he's a big watch guy. He has this big watch collection. And uh, he actually wears them on God, stage. God. Um, you know, I was also looking, just real quick, 
If you had to guess, I, I looked on Google. If you had to guess the net worth of Bob Weir, what would, what would what's your guess? Bob Weir's total that, net worth at this time. I, I don't think he has near what John has. Um, yeah, I think right. Bob, Probably not. I think Bob's 50. Very close. Very close. That's what Mickey Hart and Bill uh, Kreutzman make. Or that's their net worth. That's what their net worth is, 50 million? 50 million. Bob Weir's a little bit north of that. 60? Yeah, 60 million. That's his, that's his net worth. That's pretty damn good. Oh, man. Now, as a, and as a caveat, what would be your guess be as to Jerry's, Jerry Garcia's, the former lead singer and lead guitarist of the band, what would your guess be as to Jerry's total net worth when he died? He died in August of 95. And what would your guess? Uh, before I guess, I will also posit that I think probably Jerry's estate has made as much as Jerry ever earned. Absolutely. Uh, and, then, and then some. Yeah. So, but uh, time of his death, given everything that he'd done and really touring was most of their money. 30? Eight. Eight. Oh my Eight God. Million. The guy died that's, way too young. It's <laughs> like Elvis. Elvis yeah. uh, didn't have much, and then Priscilla turned it around. Yeah, but and then Trixie, I think, is uh, Jerry's daughter with Mountain Girl. Uh, I think is running the estate, and so there's Garcia stuff everywhere. Oh, Chicago thing. Peter Shapiro, the producer of Fare Thee Well concerts, back in 2015. Yeah, he also owns the Capitol Theater, which is a, a landmark oh, place really? for the for the for the dead. Yeah, and he bought the old Wishbone space in West Loop. And is going to turn it into a Jerry Garcia themed restaurant. That will make money hand over fist. Oh, it's great. Because they'll be. And then he's got his own weed now, too. There's a Garcia hand picked <laughs> uh, cannabis line. You knew that was coming. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I just wish it would come here. Yeah. You know, those guys are like the dead are so, you know, uh, they're not shy about like cashing in and creating merch. And, and we'll get to that. But before we do, just wanted to, how did you discover? The Grateful Dead, like what, what, what turned you on to them? Or do you remember like a well, the first song yeah. or concert? Or well, I remember uh, the first time I'd ever even heard or knew that there was such a uh, entity was um, I was six or seven, late seventies. And my parents were really into going to concerts. They, they saw everybody of the day and um, with particular fondness for Mr. Seeger, uh, Robert Seeger. And yes. um, yeah, and yes, then um, yes. and then so the Grateful Dead were playing at SIU Arena in Carbondale, which uh, which was about thirty miles from my hometown. So my parents went to see them, and my parents were kind of rockers, you know. They were they were into some of the heavier stuff, you know. They went to Black Sabbath and Bloister Cult and stuff like that, you know. Awesome. And uh, and he thought that that's what they were going to do, and so they they get in there, and uh, one of the first songs of the concert I've since listened to this concert on archive.org was Mama Tried by Merle Haggard. <laughs> and that blew my dad's mind out. He was so, he was like, what? He, was, he thought he was going to see some heavy metal type, heavy rock, as well, the skeletons and stuff. And then um, they brought home something that had a steely on it. And I was pretty captivated by that image, the, uh, the skull with the bolt in it. Yeah. And then so, you know, and then I just heard it around because, you know, the, the scene I was in, you know, with, as everybody does, start listening to stuff. And then a friend, I think it was my sophomore year, we were driving around during lunch and he put on American Beauty on the tape deck. 
Mm. And uh, mm. it was amazing. It was amazing. Wow. Just box from those first box of rain notes. Uh, I was smoked. The first mm. CD I ever bought was American Beauty. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I probably I suspect everyone's. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting because yeah, I was exposed to them like in a big way in high school, but it was, I really heard about them through like, there was a hardcore genre of fans or there was a group of guys. I went to a all boys prep school on the east side of Cleveland. Of course and, you um, did. Yes. And uh, <laughs> that's where all the Wookiees go. Well, <laughs> I got my Wookiee training there uh, because there's this group of guys and they were all like just fabulously rich and they all loved the dead. And that really colored my impression of them because, you know, I hated like nine out of 10 of those guys. And they, what, they what all, year was that? Uh, that was uh, 85, 86. Yeah. So Touch of Grey was Touch of Grey out at that time? Not yet. I graduated. Oh, really? uh, I don't think great. I don't think Touch of Grey came out until college. I, I think, think it was 80. Was, no, Touch I want to say 86 or 87. Oh, oh, you might be right. Yeah. But anyway, then, yeah, because that's when you got a lot of Freddie bro faux heads that were ruining the scene and the dead actually had to say, you know, please stop doing what you're doing <laughs> because, <laughs> because they were just all about the whippets and the, and the drugs and the stuff like that. And music was not even really something they were there for. I laugh every time you say whippets because I was a assistant manager at a houseware store and we had to keep them locked up. <laughs> so these kids would come in and they'd be like sniffing and stuff. They had to show me their ID so they could get them. And we'd always be out of them. <laughs> come to Lecter's Party Central. Come get your whippets. Oh, Lecter's. Yeah. Dude, I will say that when I was in Champaign in the early 90s, I did go to Lecter's and I did buy some cartridges. Yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I worked there, but it was, you- it was in Chicago. So. They they would they sold those uh, at the head shops. They sold the the brass ones were the good ones, you know. But the brass was like a capsule, and then you put the cartridge in it and the balloon on the other end, and you crack it. So you're like, hey man, you got a cracker? <laughs> but yeah, that was a long time ago. Actually, on Sheffield, and it was like where Stage Left used to be, uh, just off of oh, Park yeah. Street, and. Um, there were dudes with a tank selling balloons and everybody was just walking right by him too. <laughs> they weren't really, they were, they well. were employees of stage left. That was, was an <laughs> extra revenue stream. Yeah. But oh. anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So how many times would you, but it really wasn't until I got out of college really that I really, you know, it was like, Oh, the dead actually make really good music. And, yeah. uh, and I saw them, I saw the Jerry Garcia band oh, in wow. Milwaukee. Um, and, uh, there was a girl I liked and there was a whole group and we drove up there and, um, that was in college. And then I saw the dead and that was at soldier field when uh, sting opened. <laughs> sting open for the grateful dead. Sting yeah, I never knew dead to have an opening band. Yeah, that was uh that was very unusual because we went and um to uh and our and our friends Oaken and Nick went to see Sting and then you know being the guys that they were, well, 
not, not so much Oaken, but Nick, after Sting finished his set, they like walked out and they were like going, show's over, all done. We are through. <laughs> we came. That's very surprising. I, I know that is a shocking uh, uh, development. Yeah, um, very shocked. But, but the Garcia uh, yeah. band, the Garcia band is is a totally different vibe, and it's it's just as great, but yeah. it's definitely definitely different feel than a dead show. Yeah, those are my only those would be my only two shows. But the only other the, thing I remember about that dead show at Soldier Field was that uh, the Bulls were playing Phoenix uh, in the NBA Finals. And they were up three games to one and they were trying to clinch at home. And I remember thinking like this town is going to go up for grabs. Like (laughs) if the bulls win, because there was a Cubs game earlier that day. So you had 40,000 rowdies on the North side. You had the United center were 20,000 people ready to go. The uh, the dead show that was I don't know how many Soldier Field it had to be like eighty ninety thousand people down there just in the whole general area, um, and I remember during the intermission they put the Bulls game on, and uh, the Bulls <laughs> were down, came back I forget who hit a shot to put them up and the place went absolutely bananas and I remember thinking <laughs> maybe we should like stick close to the lake the lake will not burn because this. <laughs> Barkley you can thank Stacy King for that not happening, right? I because uh, they lost, and yes, Barkley yes. made Stacey it. King threw a pass, and Barkley stole it, made right. a layup to clinch it. And Barkley, after the game, said, "You know, uh, they really should give us a big time players make big time plays." Yeah, because uh, <laughs> we really saved Chicago from burning down. Give it a hot sauce. Yeah, he had zero hot sauce when he was a player. <laughs> he, was, he was tepid sauce as a player. He yeah. wasn't making big time plays. Nope. And he was a <laughs> he number wasn't... six pick in the draft. He was late Major for meeting you at the rim. <laughs> oh, well, he's a, he's a great achiever uh, on the mic. <clears throat> you know what? I actually don't. I can handle him a lot better now. I don't mind Stacey King. He's less catchphrasy. So I've, I've gotten used to him. He doesn't bother well, me like he used to. I dig that because, you know, I'm a Hawk fan. So if you like catchphrases. You got to like Hawk Harrelson and Stacey King. Absolutely. You know my feelings on Hawk Harrelson. <laughs> but you're a guest, so I will, I will not elaborate. That's all right. That's all right. Um, this is a I did see the, I did see the actual Grateful film. Dead one time in my life. Um, I graduated high school in 1990, and the Dead were on this run. It was like a, the last great era of the Dead is in terms of the music. Um, they had just put out a double live with, called Without a Net that was recorded right. in like late 89. Brandon Marsalis played on that record uh, oh, one of those oh, concerts. And yes. uh, it was amazing and it was so great. And then so Spring 90 comes and then uh, I saw them in July. Again, the last show of the tour. And um, it was at Tinley Park. And when it was called the World Theater, we had driven six hours from Southern Illinois to, to see Awesome. Uh, and our car was overheating the whole time. So we had jugs of water and then we'd run the heat and it was like 90 out. So we'd have the heat blasting <laughs> and then like every hour or two pull over and like let it cool down and pour some water in. Awesome. And uh, so we get there 
my two buddies weren't really as interested in it. They were there to maybe score some LSD and take it back home. Uh, but I wanted to see the show and, and um, I was wearing a hemp for, I was wearing a hemp for victory t-shirt. Um, that was like a merch for Jack Herrera who wrote the book hemp for victory. And there's a strain of weed now called Jack Herrera and it's, it's really good. And uh, so I'm wearing my hemp for victory shirt. And I get into the venue and I'm out on the lawn with the, some other people. And this guy walks by and he's like, hey, nice shirt. And then I turn around. I'm like, thanks, man. Oh, Jack Herrera. And it was him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> who is that? I don't know who that is. <laughs> he was a legalization advocate for years and years. He's just He wrote a book called Hemp for Victory and talk, talking about how you can use hemp for all these different products. Basically, what Mitch McConnell actually allowed to pass the hemp bill, that which is why we have Delta Eight THC available legally, even though it gets you high. Um, so yeah, so Jack Herrera, and now there's a strain of cannabis uh, named after him, and uh, yeah, and so I, I went to shake his hand, and he's like, "Have a good show," and then fucking went away. <laughs> but yeah, that was a great show, and that particular show. Um, Brent Midland, that was his last show. He died three days later. Oh, as you saw, uh, I remember that. Um, because I think that he passed right after or right before Stevie Ray Vaughn took his final helicopter, yeah. ride, also with the world. Um, I thought that was at Alpine, or maybe it was Alpine. Stevie Ray was at Alpine, I believe. Yeah, yeah you might be Alpine. But uh, Steve, but uh, Brent, um, and it was weird because during the show, there's a tune of his that he wrote called "Far from Me," and he kind of said he was he was kind of intimating that he wasn't going to be he was going to retire it, you know, he wasn't going to play it no more. And sure enough, he never did play it again. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was wild. That show is pretty uh, well known, and uh, there's great pro shot uh, video on YouTube that you can pretty much see the whole show i imagine there's probably youtube video pretty every last dead show if there's a way to get it you can watch it well that's what blows my mind too because i was into the tapes you know back when i was a freshman in college and stuff and the tape quality the sound quality on those tapes is just not great yeah but you can still kind of tell that it's there and you're so you're still jamming out but now i can if the if Dead and Company is playing a show, I can listen to that entire show uh, as soon as it ends. They post it on this website, on this app. And so you, you can listen to it again behind. on the ride home. Yeah. I was listening to it today at work. So funny. Um, if you had to, you, you see um, Len's uh, uh, song brackets. Um, oh, yeah. And if you had to... I mean, taking into account just like popularity, not so much record sales, because I mean, the dead really had like a few, you know, singles that sold well, but just like they only really had one. They had one. That was about it. In terms of just songs that their fans know best, love best, maybe played the most at concerts, whatever criteria you want to give, if you had to put together a bracket and you have to have your four number one seeds you know four top dead songs that you know pretty much everyone can agree on oh that's a good number one and that's a tough choice to do what would what would you pick 
All right. Are we going to go just list them and then talk about them or each by each? Uh, For the jury, the jury division, I say Althea is the number one seat. Nice. I love that song. And uh, uh, just to, there's a lot of great things about the song and I've always loved it. But the more you, you know, you kind of look in and, you know, fandom, reading things, watching things. Turns out it's Al Franken's favorite dead tune. But it's also the song that John Mayer heard on Pandora while driving down the freeway, hearing Grateful Dead for the first time in his life. And then later that same day, meeting uh, Bob Weir through Don Was. And then a couple of days after that, John was doing a guest host appearance on The Late Late Show and had Bob on. And they played Althea. And that was really the genesis moment for Dead and Company. Isn't that something? Yeah. So Althea has wrought some awesome stuff in its wake. Very and it's a great song besides. But I John agree. always plays it like they they opened with it Saturday night. And that's pretty unusual. It's not really an opener song. And uh and John was just loving it and he he tore it up. He always does because he loves that song so much. So uh so that's the Jerry division, the Bob division, number one seed, Sugar Magnolia. Classic. Classic. Sugar Mags. That's and it's an early song that uh Bob wrote. I think Bob wrote it. I may be talking out of I am a cannabis enthusiast. I may have forgotten that. (laughs) But but it is a great tune, nonetheless. Um (laughs) in the Phil division, my personal favorite. And the one they opened with, also strange, on the last time I saw him at Wrigley. Terrapin Station. Really? And Terrapin Station always gets a huge reaction when they when they when you hear those first kind of few notes and you can identify it, everybody just goes nuts. They're like, yeah. And then um, uh, Bob Weir and Robert Hunter wrote Sugar Magnolia. Oh, so it was yeah, okay. So it was Bobby. Yeah. And um, so Terrapin, yeah. And if you've ever seen the album, part of the art is basically that building in Cleveland that looks yeah. like the Hall justice yeah yeah that's that's on that uh i think it's on the back of the album very cool yeah they've got a little cleveland going on there love it love it <laughs> but uh the last one the the Pigpin division it is their their big hit but it's for a reason it's a it's probably their last really great original song was touch of gray oh you'd put that that's as a number one seed you do or why do i why do you Oh, well, it's a wonderful song to start with. And during the pandemic, you kind of saw people that in places where you didn't think, you know, like everybody's dead, dead head. But um, you'd still see banners that say, you know, we will get by, we will survive, you know, different lyrics from the song. And it's just got a great, happy, jumpy, bright melody. And it did introduce a whole different generation to the music and yeah some of them were works or whatever but i think it's that that bridge that generational bridge song that kind of joined the two generations of, of fans in so it's a, of, it's a great song in terms of sales like that's by far their biggest hit right yeah in terms of physical media sales yeah for sure. yeah it was their only top 10 yeah i think it was their only top 40 yeah you might be right even trucking wasn't a uh, uh, trucking not on the top forty. Well, no, not top forty. Maybe top one hundred. Their most famous songs are album are like a album on radio songs. Is that what I agree? I just Touch agree was the only song that really went mainstream. I know. I mean, now there's songs that everybody knows, but Touch of Grey was the only one when it originally came out that 
went mainstream. I knew what AOR meant as a genre, like what kind of music it was, but I never knew what AOR stood for until just now. So thanks. We educate here on Jag Bags. We are here (laughs) to provide knowledge. Album on radio. Through expertise. expertise. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what about you, uh, Len? Did you have a, your four number one seeds? Yes, I agree. I, I put Touch of Grey. I went just with the songs I think most people would know. So I did pick, I also picked Truckin', uh-huh. Casey Jones. Sure. Yeah. Friend of the Devil. Yeah. That was the hardest one. The fourth one, I was like, all right, what else would the average person walking down the street know? So I, yeah. I picked Friend of the Devil, but not with a lot of confidence. I, I, yeah, I, that's a, that's a, to me, that's a safe, you know, if you ask me like, what are the top five kind of like first songs that come to mind from, you know, to a casual or someone who just like knows the dead tangentially, I'm sure friend of the devil would, would come up. Yeah. Did you pick yours? I did. So mine were trucking, uh, sugar magnolia. I went with ripple. Oh, sure. I feel like that's um, and then I tried to go with like a live staple, like a, like a song that everyone, you know, that they that, that everyone wants to hear and gets requested, um, even if it wasn't necessarily a, um, a single. So I went with one more Saturday night. Yeah, um, just because that's just a that's a showstopper. It was a, it, they closed the first set with that Saturday night. What's yeah. another song like that that gets a huge reaction, but the average classic rock listener wouldn't know? Like only the Grateful Dead fan would know. Right. That's like a big, it gets a big rise out of the audience in concert. Right. But not what, but not one that the average, I'm asking you guys, not one that the average person would know. I would say, uh, well, I would say Althea is one of those. Yeah, yeah sure. I um, was sitting behind a guy who I started chatting it up with because I wanted to smack the Kansas City Chiefs hat off of his head. <laughs> but he was wearing it. He was wearing a dead shirt. So I talked to him. You know, and, Jag Bags is a Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs friendly program. Uh, but Again, yeah. you're a guest. So I, I'll be nice. Right. So you'll allow it. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> but um, so so the heads, um, the, everything gets shortened into this, you know, lingo. So because the dead often will play one song and then segue into another song without ever stopping. And, and usually they're paired. There's certain songs that are always played together like that. And one of those pairings is um, an, an unusual one. One that doesn't happen all the time is estimated profit from test Terrapin station and eyes of the world. They'll play estimated and then just noodle. And then all of a sudden eyes of the world starts. And, um, and before that, the first, uh, Thing they played in the second set was also a, a pairing. It was China Cat Sunflower and um, I Know You Rider together. But when heads are talking to each other, they're not going to say, hey, man, I hope they play China Cat Sunflower into I Know You Rider. <laughs> 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 they're like, man, I hope we get a China Rider. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, or an estimated eyes. <laughs> oh, you know what would be awesome? Help slip Frank. <laughs> and and actually Saturday night we did get all of those. They did the second set was basically that. It was China Rider, Estimated Eyes, uh Drums, Space, Milestones, uh Days Between. But then the last thing they played before the encores was Help on the Way, Slipknot, Franklin's Tower, all three in a row. Help and that's called Frank. and that's called Help Slip Frank. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Sometimes you'll see T-shirts that don't just say that on it. It was just a T-shirt that says "Help Slip Frank." That rules. <laughs> the, the reason I asked that is because so Billy Joel. I know Billy Joel pretty well, but I never, I've never seen him in concert. And when I did the Billy Joel bracket, I put what's his opener beef that he always plays that I didn't realize he opened with all the time. Angry I've young man. I yeah, I've seen him once, and he opened with Angry Young Man. And all these Billy Joel fans voted for it, and it beat a one seed. Because I didn't realize that that was something he opened with every time. Every time he did uh, concert. Cool. Yeah. And so, like our, our friend John, who's a big Billy Joel fan, always talking about the Nor'easters and, and the what? Yeah. 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 The- <laughs> Alexa. Well, that's what I'm saying is you could know every, because I know pretty much every Billy Joel song. But that one surprised me because I didn't have the concert experience. I think that's why I didn't play in that particular bracket because I didn't feel like I knew enough of the songs. I only knew the radio hits. Yeah, I don't know any album cuts really at all of Joel. We had all the Billy Joel growing up in our house. We had tons of it on vinyl. Us too. Us too. So I, I knew pretty much everything. You know, it's um, you know, it's interesting that you know that they have such a like. I mean, dead fans are like any other. Like, I mean, if you had to like describe like the appeal of the dead to is it just the music or is it just like the whole scene is it like this community that really draws fans into you know and to so that they eventually become a deadhead or you know a i think it's or, all of uh, yeah i think it's all of those things because my wife who i've subjected to more hours of grateful dead music than she probably would like um she went to the show and we had a great time and um or just today when i was talking about you know talking with you guys sam said i had a lot of fun and she said herself that there was a vibe that there was an energy that there was this uh everybody was it was a very high spirited uh place but yet not in an excited way it was um laid back excitement <laughs> yeah and uh yeah and it was that thing that I, I always believe in is I really believe in is energy and chi and stuff like that. And, and when you've got 30, 40,000 people all feeling the same way, you're going to feel it, you know? Absolutely. Um, there, there's a t-shirt that says something like, there's nothing like a grateful dead concert. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's true. It's really true. Um, if you had to like, I thought it was funny that your dad thought that the dead were like this heavy metal band because of the skeletons. And and I have to admit as a child, I thought they were a lot heavier. You know, I didn't, I, I I would not ever think of them covering a a Merle Haggard tune. Um, They started as a jug band. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Kind of like set, but like bluegrass too. And then, and then pig pen, Ron McKernan, the, the keyboard player, he was, he was a big blues guy, so they really yeah. kind of melded. I mean, they really don't have a specific genre. They're kind of their own genre. I guess they're, I mean, I think they're rock and rollers, but they oh, are do. definitely, well, yeah, well, just like, uh, you know, the Birds or any of these other bands. I mean, they have their influences. I mean, but when the Dead, the Dead play a lot of really old, old traditional folk tunes. Yeah. But when they play them, you can't, you know, I didn't even know that some of them were folk songs until I started getting really into folk myself somewhat recently. And uh, 
Samson and Delilah. I'm sure you know that one, uh, Beeve. Yeah. Right. Right. Song. Um, that's actually it. that's an ancient song. But when the dead play it, it's this rocker. It's just banging out. And then uh, Deep Ellum Blues, they do a rock version, uh, really rocked out. And um, that song is on uh, a Jerry box called Before the Dead. It's just like 80 tracks of him and Robert Hunter when they were just kids, when he was, you know, in the early 60s, well before he met Bobby or anything. And uh, he played strictly folk stuff, bluegrass stuff. And Deep Ellum Blues was one of those tunes. And there's this great track of him and his first wife, Sarah, singing D- Deep Ellum Blues as a duet. Super cool. Oh, it's so cool. But there must but, be more. Yeah, there must the be more dead box folk. sets. They bring in. They bring in folk. They bring in country. They bring in these other things. But it still sounds like a rock band's playing it. Right. Like Merle Haggard. They play several Merle Haggard tunes. Right. And one of them, um, "Sing Me Back Home," is oh, it was a staple in the '70s for the Dead. And whenever they do it, it's just unbelievably amazing. It's like two and a half minutes. The Merle Haggard version. The Dead obviously stretches it out, and there's a couple of solos. You know, Donna comes in, starts wailing, and uh, so yeah, they 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 pick from their 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 own melting pot, I guess, with rock and roll being the base of yeah. the stew. You know, if the the Dead's influence on rock music is pretty rock solid. You know, they just have a million imitators. You know, what are your thoughts on some of the? jam band bands like fish and and others who have followed them are you fans of that kind of like jam band genre that the dead are sort of the godfathers of or do you feel like it's not nearly as as good what are your thoughts on that it's not really in my wheelhouse i don't really jam to those bands but i was thinking when i was thinking about what influences the dead has or has had i really think not even so much musically but it technically like the before mm. dead most places they just have this big couch size amp and they put it on stage and you know however loud it gets that's how loud it gets and uh, you know like the actual projecting sound to an audience and it wasn't until the dead really started uh they couldn't ever get the sound they wanted so they got with these guys that were there in san francisco building equipment al alembeck alembeck is the name of the company but they produce these these amps and speakers and all that stuff that produced sound in a way that audiences had not heard up to that time and then so once people started hearing the dead's concerts they're like oh my god well we gotta up our game here and maybe you've seen the wall of sound in the mid-70s where they had that enormous like thousands of speakers and um and then so when they started putting the big monitors on stage it was creating this incredible feedback loops kind of like what was going on between my phone and the laptop earlier. (laughs) That was was your own wall of sound. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then, but to, but to fix that, they, they had one mic and then they had another mic underneath that was picking up. It was kind of like ear canceling headphone technology. Only back then they had a, they had two mics, one on top of another. And 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 that totally brought out the feedback. And then you're talking about viral marketing of that bands do nowadays with, with social media or whatever. But the, the taping of the shows that really started with the Grateful Dead, I know Metallica, I think, lets people tape their shows. Um, yeah, I think that really started that whole thing. And the Dead became so much more popular because of all the tape trading. And also, there's, a, there's always an area off to the side from, the, from any venue that people call it Shakedown Street. And it's just vendors 
selling all kinds of t-shirts and artworks and tapestries and jewelry and and whatnot and i don't think i've ever seen that at any other concert that to that degree to that kind of organized like a street bazaar outside of the concert which is so funny i agree with you on Corey all hart that. used to do that actually Corey hart was big. Corey hart yes Corey hart also had a lot of <laughs> Sold a lot of sunglasses. He called it yeah. Sunglasses Street. <laughs> <laughs> Big money maker for the Canadian legend. Right? You buy a lot of bags of milk for that. I still have my Corey Hart earrings that I gave my bride uh, <laughs> as a lovely anniversary present. Actually, it's funny that the dead, you know, are heavy into the merch. You know, the only person, or the only other act that I think of that has. Well, two uh, have that that kind of merch. I mean, one really being Elvis. You know, oh yeah, the, the Colonel putting his face on pretty much everything. Um, and then uh, Kiss, and Kiss, yeah. Oh yeah, Gene Simmons goes to the extreme. I mean, Kiss coffins. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The Grateful Dead. Um, you know, their merch is all done by Rhino now they're the ones that are in charge of it, but they do consult the band before they give a license to somebody. But in the past couple of years, it's really weird because um, Grateful Dead has become part of a streetwear kind of hype beast kind of, uh, you know, you'll see people wearing it that aren't necessarily fans, but they like the iconography or whatever. Like LeBron, did, uh, LeBron was wearing some Chinatown market uh, sweatpants that had dancing bears on. Wow at a game and it was like all over the media, you know, and uh, there's another time he came out with some other, Oh, the shoes. Nike has some shoes that are dancing bear shoes. They're like orange and furry. And then there's a green pair and a yellow pair. And that was a collaboration with Nike. Those were. Yeah. And those and they sold have, like they have crazy. They're, they go for like three or 4,000 a pair now on Unbelievable. the secondary market. And Gucci, Gucci has a, a, a collab coming with the grateful dead i think unless that was a uh that might have been a spoof because it seemed like it was real but then i think recently i saw that it was a spoof but they do have collabs with tons of different um companies and and merchandisers like sanuk this foot brand that the shoes i saw this slow tide which is like a internet fancy beach towel and blanket company with some grateful dead stuff uh you know, Chacos, those popular sandals, you can get to where the straps all have steelies on them because I have a pair of those. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my share of merch. So that's cool. for sure. So do you have a favorite uh, band member or, you know, everyone's your favorite in their, in, in their own way? <laughs> um, of the, of the, uh, the Grateful Dead, you know, the, the actual Grateful Dead. Proper, yeah. Yeah. Um, everybody says Jerry, but I, I just take Bobby so much. Bobby's cool. And, uh, you know, he's always from the get go. He's the youngest one. He was 16 when they, when they met. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. So he's only, well, only, but he's like 72. I think. Uh, whereas like Phil is over, over 80. That's why Phil didn't want to tour. And that's why he's not in dead and company. I don't blame him right he's got his own spot out there and he just goes to his own little place and plays when he wants to play yeah 
I think he's earned it. But, uh, yeah, I like Bobby the best. What I liked uh, in that there was that Netflix documentary on on uh, him, which I thought yeah, was yeah. great. And my the favorite, other one, yeah, I, the one part I remembered is that one of the main reasons they liked having him in the band at the beginning was that he was always up for anything. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Here, then, drink this. Sounds good. Bob will drink. Well, it. there's <laughs> there's that six part or uh, yeah, I think it's six part documentary on amazon so great uh, long strange trip yeah and you yeah, find out like that four I, hours i think right i think it's more i think it's six one hour episodes really is that the good. one isn't then scorsese have something to do with that one i think he was an executive producer but it was uh yeah it was like a three-name guy that did it a mm-hmm. documentarian but they were talking about those early days and i guess i just didn't realize you know they said that they would go out and play six, like five sets somewhere and then come home and then stay up most of the night still playing and practicing like they didn't really do anything else they just and i, I guess that's how you get really good at something <laughs> right. but but all that time they were just eating acid like the whole time like they were just living just living dose <laughs> and i couldn't imagine that oh my god and then they, no, when they no. dosed, uh, speaking of Chicago, when they dosed uh, the the whole place at the Playboy After Dark TV taping. Yes. Yeah. That was they great. Put, they put LSD in the coffee urn. <laughs> so they're showing like uh, this, like very sophisticated set, you know, in the Playboy Club and Hugh Hefner, you know, the, the ladies are in evening wear and. The men are in tuxedos and suits. Here comes Hugh Hefner smoking a pipe. Hello, welcome. And you see like in the back, like the Grateful Dead, they're kind of circling around. (laughs) I loved that. (laughs) So great. Uh, Of Dead & Company, I will say that I do have a a pretty good little man crush happening with Mr. Johnny Checkers. Johnny Salami. Johnny Mayer. Oh man, yeah, he's John. so great. He's so great. Oh man. It was talk great. about a career move for him. I mean, he was right? doing just fine on his own. Have you heard his new album? I think it's great. I haven't heard the new one, no. Oh, Sob Rock. It's uh it's real 80s tinged, but in a he's playing it straight, you know. He's not he's not yeah, I gotta listen to it. it. Yeah, I want to hear it. It's got some real good eighties vibes. It's that's a it's a little yachty. In, in <laughs> Yachty's good. Though. I, I like love yachty. me some yacht rock. Yes. Oh, yacht rock! That was I don't like yacht rock. One of the most popular brackets ever. The yacht rock one. Oh yeah. We'll need yeah. to do a, a yacht rock podcast episode here on Jag Bags. That's a uh, that's something we need to. Uh, we'll bring that up at the production meeting. I'll. Uh, I'll have we can have a you can have an online component. I'll come back and we all do our best Michael McDonald impressions. And then there's an online poll component where we see who does the best Michael McDonald. Do you remember this is (laughs) do you remember in Mop Top when we all (laughs) a lot of us had to do Michael McDonald imitations? (laughs) Tim Tim could not do it. (laughs) Tim's Michael McDonald sounded like Conrad Bain. (laughs) <laughs> like i remember ray ray brzaski did a really good one and i wanted yeah. to do one but it wasn't my scene to do it and tim would come out i'm like oh no 
Hicks. Oh. Here comes that Conrad Bain tinged Michael. <laughs> you Conrad Bain. Not called different strokes best. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that with Ray? Who's that little black kid with Ray? <laughs> <laughs> or with Tim. Yep. How hard can it be to do a Michael McDonald impersonation? Just, you know, just think opera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's why I was so surprised. And I think Oaken tried to show him how to do it, and then he just gave up. Because <laughs> yeah, it's just. Yeah, yeah. But See, all, the, me. all three of us flawless. <laughs> no bane in our game. None. That's right. Pure McDonald. Michael McDonald is writing in now personally. So was it? Uh, we're going to get a certified letter from Mike. We will. Was it SNL or SCTV that had the spoof where Michael yes. McDonald was like racing to the studio and then he'd run in in time to do the the Jerry Todd show? Yeah, that was, uh, that was, <laughs> that was SCTV. Man, oh, SCTV classic. used to make me laugh so hard. My dad would wake up and yell at me. <laughs> he'd do his little vocal and come out and argue about his check. Like, hey, you got to get in there. You got another little part. He'd run in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Levy's <laughs> still out there. Yeah. So they're they're still out there. There's a. They're not. Yeah, all Dewey Brothers there. are touring. I think the Beach Boys are still touring. They are. Well, certainly. aren't the Stones going on a tour? Well, their drummer just died. I know, but they'll just get another one, right? They'll fit, uh, that's that. Well, that's the, uh, the literally like the two hundred million dollar question because, yeah, they could. That's how much they might lose if they don't go on tour. But right, I'm sure they'd like some more money in their old age. Yeah, because, well, they you know, have, obviously, they don't have enough. That relates well, to a question I have for you guys. So, do you think? Spinal Tap, part of the reason they picked the drummers dying all the time is because the Grateful Dead, they went through like three keyboardists right away. Right. You think that yeah, was something to do with it? I think it might have been because that was kind of the, the rap for a bit because, you know, um, Pigpen, and I guess it's a, it's a myth that he died from cirrhosis from drinking. He had a pre-existing liver condition that the drinking made much worse and and he did end up you know dying a member of the 27 club but um and so then keith and donna came out and that just was kind of fortuitous because keith and donna came to a jerry show and donna came up to him after the show and says i've got your new piano player and it was keith and jerry listened to him and then donna sang donna sang background on tons of old Muscle Shoals songs, you know, like, uh, well, she sang on Suspicious Minds. She sings background. I did not know that. Yeah. And When a, when a Man Loves a Woman, the Percy Sledge tune. Really? She Great sings, song. She sings on that as well. Yeah. Donna Jean Godshow. And then that, Keith was bad on drugs, but he died in a car wreck in like 79. And then Brent came on. And then he died in 90. And then they just had Vince Welnick played with them probably the most after that. And then Bruce Hornsby played with them. Yeah. 
quite a few times. But I think like the both of them said, I am not in the band. I am a guest right. keyboard player, <laughs> but not Keep that curse off. Of I am not in the band. But Vince, <laughs> but Vince, Vince actually uh, played with them enough, I guess, that they may have considered him a member because when the dead were put into the Hall of Fame. Jerry said he wouldn't allow it unless everybody that had been in the dead, not just the original group. At first, they were just like, no, just the original members. And Jerry's like, no. And so there ended up being like 12 people on stage. So I thought that was cool. And Vince Welnick yeah, was one of cool. them. It is that. cool. So he so lived yeah, Vince to, in the Hall of Fame. So Jerry lived to see the, uh, the, the, the dead get inducted into the Hall of Fame. But he did not attend. He was too busy. He was too high. <laughs> <laughs> that was, he was buying uh, whippets off of me at Lecter's. Right, so right. That was a rough period for Jerry. Um, but yeah, they brought a cut out of him up on stage. Funny. <laughs> now, before we move on to uh, the second half of uh, Jag Bags, we, um, you know, fans love uh, set lists. And if you uh, had a, a a set list, and we and keep it to forty five minutes, so maybe like a you know a mini mini set list, like two songs, right? <laughs> right. Literally Saturday, it was half hour in, and they were still playing the second song. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I I, I do have one. Uh, it'd probably be longer than that. Yeah. But just because the songs are long. But um, I love. But they used to open a lot with Promised Land. Mm-hmm. I love that cover that they do. Elvis did that song quite a bit. Love that. And um, Jack Straw is just a, a personal Great. favorite song. Sugary, which is a Jerry solo tune that ended up in the Dead's repertoire. That oh, made mine. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, Sugary is so great. Sugar Magnolia. And then one of those pairings where they play Scarlet Begonias into Fire on the Mountain. See, your and list is more advanced because I didn't know about this Frank Slip Jack or the, <laughs> Help Slip Frank. Yep, no, nah, no, nah, it's, uh, it's on Blue Scrabble. I'm not a fan. You're a fan. I am not. <laughs> and then my, and then we're gonna wrap up the set with Shakedown Street. And I used to hate all the Shakedown Street era, the thinking it was disco garbage, but now I love it. And yeah, from uh, the very first note of Shakedown Street, the crowd will go nuts every time. Move its feet. And then Terrapin Station. And then finish it off with help slip Frank. Help slip Frank. Help on the way, slip not Franklin's Tower. Those are awesome. That'd be a heater set, as they say. Len, what would your uh, do you, what was your set list look like? Mine are mostly well-known stuff because I I mean I've listened to every album of theirs, but the only two I know pretty well are Working Man's Dead and American Beauty. So I went with Golden Road to Unlimited Devotion. Yeah, yeah. Uncle John's Band, Casey Jones, Box of Rain, Friend of the Devil, Sugar Magnolia, Ripple, Truckin', Sugary, Dark Star, and Alabama Getaway. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a, a great closer. That's a rocking closer. Song. Alabama Getaway, I heard that in high school. I don't know if it was, I'm not sure if it was on our jukebox in our high school or it was played on the um, radio station at our high school. And I was like, what is this song? And I, I was like, this is a Grateful Dead song. 
Yeah, it, it, um, I think it was the only lasting song off that album. I think it's on Go to Heaven. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the only one I heard of that was on there when I, when I listened to it initially. Johnny Mayer plays that so well. Yeah. Very cool. What do you got, Beef? Mine are, uh, so I open with Sugary. I love that Night. song. Then I go uh, Brown Eyed Women and Red Grenadine. Yep, yep. Um, the Then my third song is He's Gone. Um, was that a response to the Hall Notes song? He's Gone, actually. And Chris, let me know if my facts are wrong. But Mickey Hart, the drummer, uh, his dad used to manage the band and manage their money. And he embezzled, like, how much money from the band? It was like $77,000. I mean, it was an incredible amount of money and then disappeared. So the song, He's Gone. (laughs) Yeah. And Mickey actually left the band for a while after that. (laughs) Things probably got awkward. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Your dad stole our money. I mean, I can't Uh, believe they let him back in. Yeah, that's why Beeb's dad doesn't produce jag bags anymore. There's a big scandal. Yeah. (laughs) He was well, embezzling he, money to because he, he likes buying collections of shoe comics. Yes, that's, so, this is true. He was supporting his habit that way. And then uh, so I apologized and Len said, OK, come on back. If that's fine. Yeah. I only work where I work now because of my Kathy collection didn't really. <laughs> well, there wasn't as many ACK fans as I hoped. <laughs> so I had to take a why, job. Why has there never America. been a Star Wars and Kathy merge? Yeah. ACK bar. Yeah. It would be yeah. the uh, <laughs> Let's go to the ACK bar. Wow. I was picturing Kathy with uh, the buns on her head and there's a sweat just flying off. There you go. Millions of dollars. Yep. <laughs> We're going to have to write that one up. Oh, I've already ta- I'm already taking notes. This is this is happening. <laughs> but I want to see the show that is comprised of all of our set lists. Yeah, it'd be a good that one. Would show. That would be a good one. Do you guys uh, have before we move on? Um, are you guys on the Spotify or the Amazon Unlimited or any of those streaming services? Spotify. Um, they should have it as well because I think they all do. But they've got a lot of speaking of box sets. They they have all the Grateful Dead box sets. That you can just stream whenever like there's a europe 72 which is one of the best live albums um they have all of the concerts that they pulled those songs from like the full shows like 18 full concerts like you can listen to every last song from every last concert from that tour from that tour yeah amazing and it's great and then they recently released a, a pacific northwest from 74 that's a bunch of different uh shows and they've got all the shows on that as well i know were they were they okay with people recording the concerts because oh yeah i know their thing that was their thing that's what i thought because there's so many people who have all these tapes right millions that's why that's why that cornell show is so legendary as like the best concert ever because i mean it's a great show but The reason why it became so renowned was that they had this uh, woman named Betty Cantor running the soundboards and she recorded every show and they were called Betty boards and she, they ended up in someone else's hands 
but then they were discovered and started to circulate. And one of the early Betty board tapes, so it's pretty much a clear soundboard recording, is of that show, 5877 at Cornell. But um, it's, it, you know, I, and I think that's wise because there was that, that so, such great clarity in the, in the sound, whereas everything else sounds like you're listening to a, through a tin can at the bottom of a lake. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so, interesting yeah i feel like you know another like you know kind of like mother load of tapes will emerge like a, another kind of betty board and or two or three and then the, the sales will continue you know it would be, be like finding a rare piece of art yeah they keep putting out archival releases all the time sorry Lynn. but i was gonna say i think that's also part of the appeal of back then going to a concert because they'd let you record it because yeah. a lot of people are like no you can't record this so it's like not only do you go to a grateful dead concert and get this experience of the concert you can also record it and then you have like a souvenir you know what i mean it's like you have a document of it and, and the new no hassle you didn't have to sneak it in you could just go in there and record it i think that's pretty cool that, they, that is cool that. and the high-tech version of that now is Every dead and company ticket, when you buy it, when you get home, you can take the ticket from your phone, like either the barcode or the, there's like a string of numbers, and you put it on the Nugs app, and uh, you get the audio from, from the show that you went to. Yeah, it's, I love that. Smart. That's yeah. Very smart. Yeah, I think it inspires loyalty, stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's why deadheads have that kind of attachment to the band that maybe not so many other fan bases have i mean i know all fan bases are rabid but the dead definitely has their own group yeah it's it I makes them seem like they're not they're not money grubbers more rabid than the dead fish fish is probably similar yeah cory hart but there's and a lot Corey of hart, the Venn diagram cory hart, of hart fans yeah. yes cory hart yeah for sure they they get into spectacular rumbles with John Waite fans. Those fights are <laughs> I was, legendary. I was going to say something similar. <laughs> legendary barroom brawls. Of <laughs> John Haidt. <laughs> say, let's then, listen. Then John Haidt is pummeling Corey Hart, and as he's pummeling him, he yells in his face, "I ain't missing you at all," <laughs> and he just keeps hitting him over and over. Yep. <laughs> You've heard the legends as well. <laughs> Those are a part of Canadian lore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, um, let's move on uh, sure. from the dead and uh, um, and move on. There's uh, our second half of the show. We wait, wait, wait. Can I, I? I still have a few more things to ask you guys. Oh, since I feel like I don't know as much as you two especially chris let's do it i got like three well one thing i'll just say and then like three things i want to ask you guys about yeah so one thing too about grateful dead is i feel like they were on top of the switch from uh performers having just albums full of singles they came in right at the perfect time when people started listening to the entire album and everybody was trying to do different things so they had excellent timing like that <laughs> i always remember when i was a kid and i would see their album 
I don't I can't really pronounce it because it's like nonsense. Like the A O X O M O X O A. Yeah. yeah. Just like what is <laughs> like what is this? And they were just like I said, they were on top of that. And I think that's also another thing because they they were not a singles band. And you, if you're a Grateful Dead fan, you're going to listen to the entire album. What I was going to ask you guys a couple things is, okay, so what is the deal with the song Dark Star? Why is there an album of just the song Dark Star? And I heard that's the song they play 8 billion times. Like, like uh, they play... It's it's originally a short song, but they'll play it forever in concert. Go for it, Beef. I'm gonna uh I my answer is I don't know. Yeah. I'm turning it over to the true fan. Yeah. Oh no, I'm showing my my bad colors because I don't really know any history of that song. I know oh. that um it's it was in their repertoire from very early on. It's on their first live album, Live Dead. Um but I think they play it so much because it lends itself to the improv style that they play in, that they honed at those acid tests. You know, they Bob describes it, and then you know, there's just somebody's going somewhere. They're having a conversation. He always says, and and they just pick up off of each other, and somebody's going this way, and so the other guys go that way too, and then they go this other way, and a song like Dark Star really allows them to stretch out like that. Um, yeah, the, the album came out in 2012. It's <laughs> it was one song, which is a version of Dark Star, 40 minutes long. Was it Free Record Day? It was no, it was uh, released on Rhino Entertainment label, or not Free Record Day, but some kind of. There's a record day, right? That promotes buying. Yeah, but that wasn't it. This was just because they think they had I a remember, special. One of my other friends, this guy, he's he's done improv with us a few times. He's a big Dead fan, and he talk about Dark Star like that. Oh, they would just go crazy with that song. The Uncle John's they played Saturday was probably at least fifteen minutes. There's a lot of noodling. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, jazz in that, uh, you know, because or jazz concepts because, like you were saying, Chris, that like. Um, you know, it's like they're having a conversation with each other and yeah. you know they they you know my, my son played jazz drums and he said that you know it's 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 like improv really like that that's why he likes um comedy improv as well because one person takes it in one direction and the others just follow and he's and seen he, a legend do it so that's... he really has and <laughs> remarked on the legendary nature of the hippo horsey in fact said i really We'll never see another improv show again. Because <laughs> how could it live up? Um, but yes. Um, and I, I feel like the dead take that to like the ultimate extreme, you know, in their shows. And then the, the other question I had for you guys, and B, we talked about this, I think, briefly on another podcast, is the Dylan Grateful Dead connection. Yeah. Where they have that album together. How did that come about? Well, I think that, you know, they've been obviously, you know, fans of each other um, over the years and probably had talked about, you know, collaborating and, uh, you know, the stars aligned. I mean, 
really the dead, I would say the dead really helped out Dylan, you know, um, with that. I, I, I felt like the dead didn't necessarily need, um, Dylan at that point. And I'm sure that he gave him kind of, that they gave him kind of a shot in the arm, you know, with, I think that it was, uh, and, and also I think it was partially fulfilling an obligation to the record company. Um, I, I, I've read since that both sides kind of not totally disavow, but they're not, you know, they're not saying, they're not claiming it saying, oh yeah, that was really great. And if you listen to it, um, it, it, it kind of really does neither one of them the most good. Um, because Dylan, Dylan's style doesn't really match all that well. I don't think with the, and the dead's just playing to play it straight they're just trying to play a straight backing band to bob and i i, I didn't I, it's not one of my favorites i can't yeah. i can't tell you the last time i listened to it yeah. but i listen to bob dylan all the time and i listen to grateful dead all the time yeah like i was that. just surprised i never knew that they had an album until recently and they, i they and i listened to grateful dead. grateful dead has a whole album of dylan covers called postcards from the hanging they played all along the Watchtower a couple nights ago. Yeah. And the Hard Rain. They played Hard Rain a couple nights ago as well. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, uh, first of all, the I'm reading the reviews of uh, Dylan and the Dead, and they are harsh. Yeah, it wasn't uh, very good. Oh, man. I listen to it. I, want, I still want to listen to it. Stephen Thomas Earlwine uh, from <laughs> All Music says, this is a sad, disheartening document. <laughs> <laughs> the great meld was bob and the band the before the floods one of my favorite live albums and They're, it's uh, dylan and the band rolling stone though they i forgot what album it was but they destroyed one of the grateful dead early albums just like this is amateurish and just <laughs> but that's kind of how they were back then they didn't even they didn't like zeppelin they didn't like the grateful dead now you know years later there's covers with those bands on Rolling Stone and everything. I don't There's, listen to a lot of pre-70 dead. That, that whole era sounds completely different. When Pig was the front man, it was a different band. You kind of wonder what would have happened to the band and the music had Pigpen lived. Because he, he was so was bluesy. Different. Yeah, and he was the front man. And so oh, he was the original front man. Oh, yeah. So did Jerry Garcia not? He wasn't the front man until after he died. Yeah, and Jerry never really wanted to be the front man, never really considered himself the front man, but he obviously was just by his yeah. nature. But uh, Pig was the one out there and really getting the audience going and doing a 30-minute turn on your love light where he's rapping at the people in the audience and stuff. Yeah, Pig really went for it. And I, got, was- I got one last Grateful Dead fact before we finish up so my two favorite albums of theirs are american beauty and working man's dead and they they were released within five months of each other it's just crazy and we talk about the 70s a lot on this podcast and everybody was so prolific all these big names it was just i and i think it a lot of it was because the record companies had money they're like make another one here you go keep going and they made to me they made two great albums in six months basically my 
my memory, and this is from one of those documentaries, is that the um, they they stopped touring long enough to say, okay, we got to concentrate on making a really good album and do the things that you're supposed to do to have an album sound like really, you know, well produced and you know designed to appeal to a large audience and and sell. And uh, so they took much more time with those two albums than they did with any of their other recordings. And the results speak for themselves. But after the second one, they're like, that's it. We're done. We're going to go back. (laughs) Enough of that. That was too much work. If you want to really dig in on American Beauty and and Working Man's too, um, the Grateful Dead's official podcast called Good Old Grateful Deadcast, um, they go into major depth on um, each track and they'll play like isolated tracks and then play the tracks together and then talk about how that came about and talk to the people that built the amps. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they really talk to everybody. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your, what's your favorite app of theirs? My favorite album. Yeah. Gosh, it would probably be a live album. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I go, you know, there's phases. Uh, right now, I would say that my favorite is probably, and I just listened to it the other day, it was Without a Net, that double from 89. No, yeah, 89, 90. Um, it's just so great because it's it's that late stage kind of uh, breakthrough. You know, they were kind of plateaued for a while. And then right around the 8990, they they just they found it again. And their sound was so like feel like a stranger is the first song on it. And it just sounds like you're in a stadium. I mean, the sound is so full and there's so much more uh substance to it. There's it's just a bigger sound than other, you know, previous eras of that of those same songs. And so I just that they were a man in full at that time, I think. Huh. You know, 25 years in, and that's this is what they produce. Like a fine and, wine. Oh my God. There's so you you be you what's your favorite? I go with the obvious choice, but um Europe uh, 72. The oh, official yeah. release. I mean, I just think that's just they're young. I think it's like young dead, and I think that's like Pig Pen's last stand. It is. Um and uh so you you hear all that stuff and um yeah it's cooking it cooks from beginning to end and um uh it's uh the the, the at first you know and i was like because i think it's like two hours long or something i'm like oh god can i listen to two hours of dead i can <laughs> it's good stuff that is good stuff those pig tunes on there too like it hurts me too and great i love that song and tennessee john marison tennessee jed mr charlie that mr charlie see john Mayer's playing all these pig songs and there's one that's on a lot of those europe 72 concerts that's i've never seen on another release it's called chinatown shuffle huh and it's sung by Pigpen, and it's such a great song i don't know why they won't bust it out but I mean, but John no. Merritt, because he's a great blues guitarist too. He yeah, it's all- interesting that they've kind of gotten back, or that he picks the pig pen songs, but that's because those are like straight blues. Right. 
and he loves blues. Yeah, so it makes sense. But I love them all. You know, they keep coming out with archival releases, Dave's picks and Dick's picks and road trips. And so that's another great thing because you're getting all these older concerts that you never heard in decent quality. Right. They're all remastered and they're all just perfect soundboard copies of the concerts. So they'll be they'll be doing that from now until long after we're gone. Two thousand shows to pick from. Exactly. Exactly. Bill Walton went to all of them. (laughs) (laughs) And Phil Jackson. Throw it down, big man. Throw it down. (laughs) Watching the watching the Bulls is like watching Jerry Garcia execute a perfect solo. I saw him on some show and he was, they went to his house and his house is just all Grateful Dead shit. Just top to bottom. Like even outside, like he's got this big patio and like all the pavers are like a mosaic of, of, of a steal your face. Not even uh, one picture of Dave Twardzik. <laughs> no, none. Bobby Gross gets no love in mm. Bill Walton's home. There's, I was watching this like, uh, uh, it was a, a YouTube video on uh, that that championship winning Trailblazers team, and they showed Walton at the at the parade. And first of all, this guy looks like the world's biggest hippie ever. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> and uh, his first words that he gets up, you know, I mean, there's like the entire city of Portland is out there going nuts. And uh, his first words was, "Hey man, uh, I rode my bike here, man, and now it's gone. Someone stole my bike." <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, it was really funny. He was environmentally conscious even then. So uh, most, uh, you know, when they talk about being a dead fan, there's a song, the other one that Bob uh, has. And one of the lines, one of the lyrics is the bus pulled up and I got on. That's when it all began. Because one time Bob rode in a bus with Neil Cassidy behind the wheel. And Neil Cassidy was driving through San Francisco like a bat out of hell in this bus. And they were all on LSD. And uh, so Bob wrote this song and it has that line in it. So when you are a fan of the dead, you're on the bus. So we're like, oh, you're on the bus. Uh-huh. Like, you're talking to somebody and they mention something I'm like, oh, yeah, on the bus, are you? Uh-huh. <laughs> so Lynn, we're going to get Lynn on the bus. Lynn is uh, right now he's trailing the bus. He's he's going to be the Ralph Cramden of the bus. I love it. He's gonna, new, he's gonna be the new Neil Cassidy. Right, that's it. I'll be the new Mary Prankster. Right. <laughs> well, a lot of people follow Len around just like on the road and then write their <laughs> adventures of their wild times with Len. Uh, today we went to the zoo and oh man. Like, what are Harry and Darby doing today? I can't know. believe a- I am alive to tell the tale. Yeah. There was a moldorama of Len at Brooklyn. <laughs> Yeah, top seller. Top seller. <laughs> uh, I love those Moldoramas. I have a, a small collection. Uh, one of them I, I got a kid. Jack- What's that? When I was a kid, I had a dolphin. And I, I, we, I didn't get a lot of stuff when I was a kid. And I held on to that dolphin forever. This Moldorama. It was in my dresser. I was real careful with it. Probably moved it to my first apartment. <laughs> do you still have it 
No, I think it it and it finally broke, but well, they're because it was in a, probably some storage room that was hundred degrees. But <laughs> I got a jet at MSI, and uh, the tail thing came off before I even got home. But the ones that I the one that I protect the most, Jack White, uh, because of course he did bought a Moldorama and had a custom mold made of his first guitar. Wow. Of course. And when you go to <laughs> when you go to Third Man Records, you can do it. You can put the money in and it pours in and then you get the little Moldorama of Jack White's guitar. Where's that at? At Third Man Records in Nashville. Oh, nice. That's nice. <sighs> yeah. These also got that voice matic booth. I think for pandemic they closed it, but I got to do it um, a couple years ago when we went to visit a friend there. Awesome. And I couldn't think of what song to sing. But then I was like, oh, I want to sing like an old song. And you know that song by Johnny Ace, um, Forever My Darling. Yeah, Pledging, uh, Pledging My Pledging Love. My love yeah. By, yeah, by Johnny Ace. That was the song I sang. And then you get a little 45 that spits out at the bottom. It's pretty cool. You get like two and a half minutes of song. That rules. Wow. Yeah, Jack White's place is cool. Yeah. He's like, good I'll go down there and do sunglasses at night. Uh, and Jack would probably play with you on it, man. He, he, <laughs> Jack White will emerge and say, finally, someone who gets me. <laughs> and why are all these people following him around? <laughs> I'm going to make a beautiful box set. Preservation of Lynn's voice. <laughs> Jack White has Corey on speed dial. We found him at last. <laughs> or he's like, I'll be right there from my home in Manitoba. I'll catch this nor'easter and head on down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, on Jag Bags, you not only get the finest dead content, but the finest Canadian content. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From Corey Hart to SCTV Jerry Todd. There you go. How, how about it? Love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Speaking, yeah. And speaking of which, Dave Lemieux. I always call him Dave Lemieux, but uh, he does a thing called This Day in Grateful Dead History on the Grateful Dead channel. But uh, he's the archivist for the Grateful Dead, and he's Canadian. And he does like a 10-minute intro each day for his bit, and he says all the Canadian things, you know, like his voice sounds well right. Canadian. And, it's, and he pronounces his name like, you know, Lemieux. <laughs> he's like peter sellers in the pink panther yes yeah. i am an officer of the lemieux i am dave lemieux i thought you said this was not your dog <laughs> you want some craft dinner with your grateful dead <laughs> ah, French. oh it's all coming back to me now <laughs> oh man any other uh, dead uh, questions or topics that we, I mean, there we could do like you know, one podcast a week and probably still not. Get I'll, to it I'll ask one more and we can move on. Uh, Dave, this is for you since you're a fan, since you're on the bus. I'm on the uh, bus. More, more than where that. do you, where do you stand on Donna and Donna's singing? I love it. I love it. I mean, you do. More, yeah. More harmonies, the better. Yeah, I almost don't want to listen to it if Donna's not on it. Yeah. Because um, I, I love it. But there's a lot of heads. You know, I get on that Grateful Dead subreddit, and, man, there's a lot of Donna haters. 
And there is a lot of misogyny, though. That's another thing that kind of mentioned. Amongst the old heads, especially. Sure. That um, they hate on Donna. They don't like this other thing. But, uh, you know, and you touch on something there, Chris, because there is kind of that dark undercurrent to dead fans, too. I mean, there's a little danger, a little bit of, you know, to me, you know, I always felt it like just like a little like hint of, you know, with, you know, the bad trips and just danger people lurking around and uh, and uh, uh, some real characters and not all of them very savory. I don't think that it's uh, something they've cultivated or, or I've never heard any interviews and I've listened to quite a few mm-hmm. where they discuss race at all. Yeah. But there were an excess of 30,000 people there. And I was really watching people, you know, cause that's one of the fun things that a dead show is to look at the people. There was somebody wearing like a butterfly costume that actually had lights all through it and was dancing around with it. And there were these balloons being bounced around that had something inside them that made the balloon change colors as it flew through the air. You know, there was all these things. So I was looking at everybody and in all of the people in that stadium, I saw two non-white people. I believe it. Yeah, two. (laughs) First it was just one, but Sam's like, oh, there's another guy. (laughs) Over there. He's over there. There is another guy over there. Yeah, two two out of 30,000. And maybe there were more, but up front or something. But I'm just saying it was a overwhelmingly uh, white crowd. Yeah. And I, you know, there was a, um, I was uh, at the 7 Eleven on Western and uh, uh, Lincoln the other night, and a, uh, a black woman walked in wearing a dead t shirt. And I was like, well, that's a first. I, don't, I was <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, but that's more of a comment on, you know, their on the dead's fan base for sure. Um, yeah. And, uh, but people, and if people maybe knew more because of the, the song that they play a lot on the road again, you know, that mm-hmm. song he's on the road again. Shoosh. That's a, that was made famous by the Memphis jug band. One of the first really popular black bands, um, came out of Memphis. Oh, okay. Thirties. Yeah. And, uh, and, and nowadays, everyone has access to everything, so you can expand your fan base more these days. True. Well, hopefully that will happen. Um, it's just not for everybody. You know, Jerry said, um, we're a lot like licorice. Not everybody likes it, but the people who like licorice really like licorice. <laughs> that's hilarious. And, and uh, I think that's probably pretty true. And if, you know, if you're a person who leans more towards, you know, uh, more modern music or something uh, like, Cor- like Corey Hart, like Corey Hart, John Hay, all those, all those legends. Yeah. Um, Wink Martindale. <laughs> Wink Martindale has a show on me TV radio. <laughs> oh, that's great. He yeah. has a close friend of Elvis's. He does like a history of music thing a couple times a week. Yeah, How old is Wink Martindale? Such- oh my God. We know all at Jag Bags. (laughs) Information never stops flowing. We really do. We are a fountain. And the other thing about the Grateful Dead, because they are so thought of in this way, and it's just like Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg could walk into the White House with a lit joint, and I don't think anybody would probably say too much. They're like, oh, it's Snoop. (laughs) Look at Snoop. He's smoking weed. 
<laughs> because there were a there was a lot of weed being smoked at that show. Not just like vapes and stuff, but like joints being passed. And uh, yeah, the, the place reeked of weed. And uh, I thought that was funny because the, the, the you know when they checked your bag, they didn't hardly check shit. I just had a little vape pen, but um, lots of people had actual weed. And uh, didn't seem to matter much. Nobody seemed to care. Yeah, I heard that as well. You know, we were at Riot Fest and uh, same thing. Like I barely, uh, it was it was like going to, Len, it was like going to that Cubs game. Remember we went to the Cubs game and we walked through, like there was no line. They didn't pat us down or anything. We just walked right oh, through. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. When we first came back, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's great. We're so quick. And then I was like, ooh. <laughs> why don't we segue to riot fest because i want to hear how your riot fest day was riot fest it was yeah. uh it was good it was a you know trip down uh, 90s uh memory lane uh i mean we saw i went two of the three days but uh so yeah you know smashing pumpkins flaming lips uh body count living color fishbone Fishbone, yeah, they were great, and uh, and Slipknot. Uh, oh, I uh, I was like, I've got to see what they're about. My 19 year old son, who loved them when he was like 12 or 13, like just had a Slipknot poster, thought they were the greatest. I grew out of Slipknot, and uh, he was like, Yeah, I'm just gonna go see them just for like nostalgia. <laughs> Those 19-year-olds under nostalgia. Which was great. <laughs> I'm just going to look back on the salad days. And, oh, but not. Know, right? <laughs> Dad, do you remember 2014? That was so long ago. Dad, have you seen Ken Burns' documentary on Slipknot? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Burnsy. oh, I can't wait Burnsy. until Burnsy tackles Slipknot. A 12-part version. <laughs> Who was your favorite out of all those bands? Devo, by far. Yeah, oh, oh Devo you, were, you were a little worried about Devo because you said uh, you thought they'd be ancient. They, they were ancient, but they came out and they they did it all. They changed the costumes. They wore the energy domes. They did the choreography, and uh, and they rocked. Yeah, that's great. And uh, Declan, um, our uh, our intrepid sound engineer and uh, um, producer, uh, Declan, uh, he went to Devo and first of all, he's like, he came out, he goes, they were great. Ah, they were great. He also got uh, there, a mosh pit form that was kind of violent. He took a shot to the mouth. Oh, so, uh, he was, he's fine. But uh, he was like, that's good mosh music. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when a problem comes along, you must mosh it. Yeah, they uh, they were the best by far. My uh, and Smashing Pumpkins, surprisingly good. I had low expectations. They were good. And there's a third band, and they're a Chicago. Uh, they're kids, really. Um, like, young, tw- early 20s, called Beach Bunny. Um, and uh, some of Declan's friends know uh, some of the, you know, they, they have ties to uh, these guys in Beach Bunny. And they played... Um, a set at Riot Fest, and they were terrific. Pleasing, uh, sprightly power pop, but there's some muscle behind it, and uh, I recommend uh, I uh, 
if you get the chance to see them do it um was there any like legacy acts there like uh like you think last year maybe blondie was there or something uh so this year was there anybody like yeah, that I mean, like yeah. legends besides devo i mean uh devo's probably the closest that they uh that they got to legendary status you know the thing is, is like with travel i think a lot of bands were reluctant to do it like um, guar didn't they always do riot fest guar was there oh uh, guar was uh, there yeah they were there and flaming lips their flaming lips is there every year um <laughs> guar's big merchers too they have a line of cbd products <laughs> guar is uh they're ridiculous <laughs> i mean just they are ridiculous <laughs> and uh, i missed them i didn't go on saturday i went friday and uh sunday so yeah missed the guar missed andrew wk another legacy act andrew k never misses a riot andrew wk uh never misses a riot fest he likes to party hard yeah party party parties (laughs) i didn't go to riot fest and i still fucking hated it (laughs) and i'll tell you why it's because um i was leaving a doctor's appointment i had to pick up my wife from her work and she works at um like Sacramento and Harrison. Oh, forget it. And so usually, usually, and I didn't know, I or I'd forgot about Riot Fest, but I didn't know about the Mexican Independence Day stuff. Yep. Because I was coming from like uh, off of 55. I'd, I'd been at a, a doctor's appointment on Cicero, and then I'd gotten on 55 going towards the city. Yeah. So I got off of California thinking that I was going to go on Sacramento and have this nice leisurely ride up to Harrison. Forget it. That did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> I got to Cermak, which is like 2000 South. And to get to 500 South at Harrison, it was, Ugh. it was at least an hour. Oh, uh, brutal. Yeah. Because the traffic was just so, and I was like, why is this traffic? And then eight cars go by with four Mexican flags on every, on each of them. Yeah. And I'm like, That's, what is that going on? Me too. I had, I went to basketball Thursday night. Usually takes me an hour to get there. It took me an hour and fifteen minutes because I was driving behind caravans. Yeah, yeah. and then and, I. But I, I was happy it. that it was Mexican Independence Day and not people with Trump flags. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. And that's I said that to a guy I work with. I'm like Mexican Independence Day, I'm fine as long as that Trump flags. <laughs> we were in Alabama for the, the summer before they are where they are now, and. Um, there was tons of Trump. There was a boat with like Trump flags on it. Just Trump shit everywhere down there. And what? I think there might be a causal relationship or a proportional relationship between how bad the COVID is in Alabama right now and the amount of love for our former president. Yeah, yeah. And the size of That's flags. And then right. Flags. Fun with flags with Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> Big bang. Uh, so should yeah. we move on to since let's we have a, uh, a White Sox fan here? Should we move on to baseball? Let's do yeah, this. Yeah. Chris is our, uh, as you know, is face one of Facebook's m- most fervent champions. <laughs> of my beloved White Sox of the Pale Hose. I'm sitting here amongst all my White Sox stuff as we speak. How well are the Sox going to do in the playoffs? Oh, they're going to win the World Series. <laughs> this is the content that you come to Jagbags for. This is Ladies meatballs, meatball fans coming on. 
yeah, my team's going to win. No problem. Well, I don't say no problem. I don't think it's going to be 11 and one like uh, 2005 or anything. But I, I really hope it happens. Well, of course, every fan wants it to happen. But when I came here in 2004, I took on the Sox as my team. And then the very next year, they win the World Series, which was great. And I'll always remember it. And I have some 05 stuff here. But since then, you know, we've been through some bad seasons. It's a long time. And I've got 14 years of fandom with some highs and some real lows. So now that that's just going to be so much sweeter if we win it than it did the last time. So I, oh, God. I was going to say that the pitching, the starting pitching, does it concern you with the recent injuries? And, no, because yeah. they weren't they weren't that much of injuries as much as about to be a bit bad injury. So let's give him some rest. Let's give him a few days off. Let's skip him a turn in the rotation. And I think that's been good for uh, Carlos Rodon, whose video game handle is Hard Carl. <laughs> and so a lot of the teammates call him Hard Carl. But uh, he's great, and he's been doing really well. Giolito pitched a gym against the Rangers uh, yesterday. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, between Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, and Giolito, I mean, that's what more do you need? And then you add Dylan Cease, who strikes out 10 guys or more every time he goes out. And then... If he can ever fucking turn it around, former Cy Young winner, Dallas Keuchel. They don't even need him, though. They don't need him. I know, but he's really not been very good this year. He really yeah, hasn't. I, I wouldn't even try. I, I mean, maybe if you even put him on a playoff roster, just use him as a long reliever. I'd probably go Gio, Carlos, and Lynn in the first series. I, I, I pretty much – I bet you Lynn gets game one. He's got that yeah, experience. Yeah. Carlos and Gio both have no hitters. Um, but Lynn is really great. I love Lance Lynn. It's LaRusso, my, though, so I think he'll go with the veteran for game one. A uh, little Lance Lynn uh, tidbit, my own little uh, tangential con- connection to Lance Lynn. His wife is named Diamond, D Y M I N. Yes. But uh, anyway, Diamond. And her maiden name is Hayes, Diamond Hayes. Her dad, Jamie Hayes, was a class of 89 in Harrisburg, Illinois. And I was class 90. I mean, we grew up together in our little hometown. And um, his daughter ended up at Ole Miss and then went to, I think they met in Nashville. But anyway, she's married to Lance Lynn. So a guy I grew up with is Lance Lynn's (laughs) father-in-law. Very cool. That's future, pretty wild, yeah. Future sax legend. I know, man. I'm, I keep telling uh, one of our mutual friends back home, I was like, when are you guys going to come up and get a suite? <laughs> <laughs> right. You're his well, father-in-law. But anyway, Lynn is great. And I love Lynn because he just gets so fired up. And uh, he, just, he just storms off the mound. So great. Oh, did you guys see Field of Dreams game? Awesome. Oh, well, we, we only uh, saw the highlights. We were following along. We were at hoops, but we did follow along with that game. Oh, yeah. God, it was so great. Lance Lynn, there was one moment, though, when he was coming off the mound and 
the camera just caught it. So where as he's walking off, you can see the barn and the stuff behind from the movie. And it was, oh, I gasped. <laughs> it was so great. And then Timmy Anderson winning it like that. Yeah, yeah the pitching yeah, for. Pitch, I was. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just thought that was an amazing comeback win for them. Oh. The Yankees take the lead and they just come back and win. And you couldn't have a better game than that. And the old timey scoreboard and the balls flying into the cornfield and. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just genius marketing. Yeah. Well, really you was. you you guys get to play there next year against the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Patrick it Wisdom just will hit five home runs into the What I wanted to say to you about the Sox, and I will root for the Sox. I only hate the Sox when they play the Cubs. You have a solemn word. Besides that, I root for them. I think the Astros and the Rays are tough matchups for them. I do think if the Sox get to the World Series, they'll win. Because I, I think they could beat any National League team. The Astros is a tough draw in the first round, though. And the Astros, I'm barring a big switch, because I think the Astros are three games ahead of the Sox, they're going to have to uh, – the Astros have home field advantage. And the Sox are better – a lot better at home, actually. than. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. So that's going to be a tough first-round <laughs> matchup for them. And the I Astros, hate the Astros, so I will – that's another I reason to root for the White Sox. Oh, the Astros are easy to hate. Yeah. So and Chris, the Rays have your... been the best team in, in baseball. So that's that's going to be a tough route for the Sox. Well, what's been going on with the Sox all year is you're talking about riddled with injury. I think the first time they had anything close to the opening day lineup was last week. Um, you know, but well, the great thing for the Sox has been all year, next man up, you know, some guy comes up from AAA and hits a dinger to win. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Gavin Sheets. Gavin Sheets. I love Gavin Sheets. Yeah. This young brawler who just hits dingers. Yeah, so they, yeah everybody's to, been good for them. If you had to pick an MVP of the of the sacks, who who's your pick? Um, so many of the great guys have spent some extended time on the IL. I would have to say, just for everything he's done this season and everything that's happened to him, Jose Abreu. Yeah. Pico. Yeah, Rayo, I think, is the guy you don't want coming up at the end of a game either. No. Because he is the RBI machine. He's got 111 right now. He's their because. best clutch guy. And he's been hit 19 times. Yeah. And he had that uh, collision with that guy in the first baseline on that pop-up. I mean, he's he's been through it. He was in the on-deck circle, and the guy dropped his bat, and then the umpire threw the bat behind him and hit Jose with it. <laughs> the guy just he takes a beating and then just shows up at first base. Yeah, and his like defense he's, has gotten a lot better. He's always like, I can't skip a game. My mom will be mad at me if he misses yeah. a game. <laughs> I think that's great. There's only one season. I'm just looking at his stats. There's only one season where he didn't. I mean, if you don't count 2020, um, where he didn't play the full season, and um, every year he's hit, you know. You know, there was only usually 30 home runs and always 100 RBIs. Yeah. And there was one year he had 20, I think he had 29 or something instead of 30. Yeah. Yeah. And this year he's stuck on 29. He needs one more to get to 30. He'll do it. 
Yeah. Oh, he'll do it. He, I don't think he'll get to 300. But his first few seasons, he was batting 300 and hitting 30 home runs and 100 RBI. I mean, he was MVP last season. He was rookie of the year. I I love Jose Brayer. He's great. Yeah, I think I think talent wise, the Sox. If if these guys are all peaking at the right time, then yeah, they could win the whole thing. Because talent wise, I mean, yeah, just they're, go through the lineup. You got Anderson at lead, and then Yoan Moncada, and then Jose Abreu, and then Luis Robert, and then Eloy Jimenez, and then probably like Andrew Vaughn. <laughs> it's yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's just embarrassing riches almost. And Grandel. Yeah. Yeah, oh fuck yeah! How could I forget? Year. Yes. Oh man. And uh, I think and Robert's Garcia. future MVP candidate because he can do everything. Oh, he's so good in the center field. He catches. Yeah, he's everything. amazing. And when he, when they played the Cubs, I'm like, man, that guy gets a great jump at the ball. Oh, and he made some really nice catches against the Cubs. And he just hits. He just hits it all the time lately. Yeah, yeah. You know what it is about the White Sox that makes him as good, especially the Cuban guys, is that they all wear a giant heavy ass thick chain and they all unbutton their jerseys down like four buttons. Studies show I'll have to try that at basketball. Yeah, just to unbutton your shirt <laughs> like Goulet, like Robert Goulet. And then uh normally Len Tom does Jones. take off his his heavy chains before playing. Eloy is the swaggiest one. His his is the lowest. His is like a seventies disco dancer, <laughs> and, but, and then he's got that big ass chain and his red batting gloves. He's awesome. If, but yeah, the swaggy. I love the swagginess of this team. I picture Larusa walking in the dog. Like, God damn it! Button your shirts. <laughs> Add on spray. Like, All right, yeah, I'll do that. Just a second. Tony's in the I, uh, been a pretty event-free past few months. Yeah. We'll see if that continues in the playoffs. Because at the beginning of the year, he was doing some questionable stuff. But it, he seemed to have settled into it. Yeah, and at first, everybody was kind of rooting for him to fail. It seemed like, you know, there was a lot of people just on his ass hard. And uh, like, oh, no, old white man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And then, um, and then he does what he does, which is manage winning baseball teams. Well, be he's a fun done one. better. I think he's done better than Gruden after a ten-year hiatus. Ooh, but this might be Gruden's year too. Hey, man, I'll take it. Two guys that took ten years off from coaching got back in it and are headed to the playoffs. Both Gruden and Larusa. Are you saying that the Raiders are in fact a playoff team? Yes. And so, all the media hype is saying that, oh, well, they started 2 0 last year. Oh, they started 2 0, and then they lost at the end of the season. Well, yeah, but last year they d- didn't have a defense at all. I mean, teams were just racking up points in the air at will. Like we did not have a secondary, like they were just reading a book or something uh, out in the field. And uh, this year, Max Crosby is putting the hurt on some quarterbacks. And uh, the, the defense is just night and day. And so I think that makes it a lot different story because Derek Carr, he gets slammed for not having a great winning record. But he's had a different – before Gruden, he'd had a different offensive coordinator and a different offense every year. Yeah. Right. 
Didn't your brother still, say something about Derek Carr being an MVP candidate? Uh, I believe that was me. Oh, you and said that. I was excoriated. Not by me. Mocked for my stance. <laughs> Not that I. Well, after uh, after two after these two games, even Stephen Smith was giving him a little bit of props. And those are huge wins. Those are huge wins. Because now they've got so next week they've got the Dolphins. Right. And then That's the Chargers win. before they have to face Red Rifle and the Bears. If uh, he's so back by the if if Red Fingers Rifle, crossed. All of Chicago has candles lit. So the, for the return of Red Rifle. So the the Raiders. Steve, do you have your candle in the window for Red? Uh, yeah. Oh yes. I don't uh, follow the Bears much. Uh, I was flipping between the two games because the Raiders game was actually on TV. Um, the, I was watching at one moment and it was twenty to three, and then it was twenty to ten, and like one minute later it was twenty seventeen. Yeah, Fields threw a pick, a bad pick. Uh, okay. Was it a pick six? It was almost a pick six. The guy got tackled at like the seven yard line. And then the next play, the uh, Bengals got a touchdown. Well, they, I mean, Bears won. So that's, that's the main thing. But they, they played, their defense played like 2018 Bears defense. Well, tell me, riddle me this. Uh, do you think, because in that particular game, Red Rifle had came out and was like, what, seven for eight or eight in a row and had like 80 yards and, and then got taken out of the game, and then Fields comes in and gives it up and has kind of a rough time. Are people still just clamoring for Justin Fields to start yes. every game? Yes. Nobody, nobody wants Dalton in the game. Even if Everybody he wins wants game? Fields, even though yesterday was an indicator of what happens with the young quarterback. He had two false starts, not, not, not the team, him as a quarterback. He had two false starts. He threw a bad interception. And his his pocket presence is not there yet. That's what I noticed. He was too close to the center. Like he would go back, but he wouldn't drop back far enough. Right. So the pressure was in on him way too quickly. So and those are just things he's he's going to learn. And he did throw a perfect pass to Robinson that should have been a touchdown. And Robinson dropped, dropped it. it. Dropped yeah. it. So and you know the talent's there, but it, it's not like he's going to be great instantly. It's going to take him a while. So having Dalton in there is not a bad idea. He was doing great before he got hurt. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's an accurate quarterback. I still haven't seen him throw a bomb, which is what I'm waiting for because I'm bomb-starved as a Bears fan since Trubisky could not throw a bomb. That's what I'm waiting I for. Think... Like somebody please throw a deep pass for a touch. I want to see one 70-yard <laughs> touchdown this year. You're you mean like the 61 yarder that Derek Carr put right in Henry Ruggs the yes. third hand? Something yes, like that. The Bears never get that. That's what I want to see. Len here's Aaron. another reason Derek Carr is the MVP. Because in the third quarter, he got hit after a pass just like he did when he broke his leg right before the playoffs a few years back. And he laid on the field for a while. And everybody was like, oh my God. And then a bunch of teammates, not not just the offensive guys that were on the field at the time, some defensive guys ran over and they were all surrounding Derek Carr and they were praying. And uh, and then, he, you know, he gets up and whatever. But just that kind of thing where he is the leader of that team. That's his team. And the team, he loves the guys and the guys love him. You know, like when they think Derek Carr's hurt, they're like, holy shit, we got to 
do something. And uh, I think that kind of leadership is an intangible that doesn't appear at the saber metric level, but is very important to any elite quarterback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need that guy that everyone can rally behind. So he's the anti cutler is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I thought uh, Mitch plays for Buffalo now, right? Yeah. He's their backup. He's their backup. (laughs) He's yeah. pushing Josh Allen. <laughs> Josh Allen. The Bills are went 35 to nothing yesterday. Oh my gosh. But and then Mariota is still around. Our backup. He got hurt. Yeah, I read though that he keeps getting hurt. Yeah, but he had a big run uh in game one versus Ravens. Yeah. They put him in like it was in the first series, I think. And it was like a third and short or something. And they mm-hmm. ran his play with Mariota running. And he I think picked up like close to 20 yards. Yeah. yeah, he's not bad. He's not a bad backup to have. If your backup is Marcus Mariota, that's, you know, that's all right. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so we have the rivalry game next week because we have the Bears and the Browns. Oh, it's going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, because the Browns are finally good, right? Cleveland. The Browns are finally good. The Browns are loaded. Now, I don't so, know. They're, they're receiving went uh, because Landry's hurt now. And there's no, and o, Odell Beckham Jr.'s knee still isn't right. So, what so that, happened to Landry? How long is he going to be out? Ah, uh, he sprained his MCL. So it's like a week to week thing. He probably will not play against the Bears. Mm. Um, so they've got a lot of like rookie guys and um, free agents who are going to have to play well they'll probably rely on chubb and uh and hunt who are who are unbelievable yeah so we'll see how i mean the bears were really good yesterday defense so yeah i mean i think uh mayfield's gonna have his work cut out for him because he doesn't have that passing or he doesn't have those receivers to hopefully take the heat off of uh off the run that was kind of a relief too yesterday with the bears because the Bengals have good skill players but their defense did a nice job because they're secondary. And we talked about that when we did the preview is my worries about their secondary, but they didn't, they didn't get burned yesterday at all. So that was nice to see. And speaking Burrow, of weapons and Burrow's a good quarterback. Yeah. That's, that's what everybody says. So that was very encouraging. Talking about uh, weapons, you know, like there's another thing with Carr. He never had that many weapons to throw to, but uh, yesterday or Sunday, he um, threw seven, there were seven receivers, seven players that caught at least two passes each. And that's really spreading it around Yeah, because they were, they were focusing on Waller so much that he was just throwing it to all these other guys. So if you've got that many guys that you can target, that's pretty good. It is. And uh, you know, it's, it can be a blessing. If, I mean, as long as those guys can come through and, you know, run their routes and, get to the point where the QB has trust in them then because then you don't know who to double or you know you have to play everybody single coverage because you're just not sure what they can do and that's yeah single single coverage on Darren Waller you're going to get beat because Darren Waller is Darren Waller really tall really fast really strong really quick really good I have him on my fantasy team he was awesome first week he was held a little in check he got one big I think he had one big play like 20 yards or close to it yeah 
But yeah, they were double, triple teaming him the whole game. But the first game, he was targeted 19 times. And they they never, uh, I loved it. I was like, yes, keep throwing it to him. <laughs> I watched a doc about him, a short one. Uh, I didn't realize what kind of comeback he has had uh, beating addiction. He had oh, a Waller? Injury. Yeah, Darren Waller is a nice little doc on YouTube. Oh, nice. Uh, that he really talks in depth about his troubles and he'd gotten injured at some point and got on opiates to deal with the pain and then kind of got hooked on them. And then it got worse and worse. And he was just trashing his whole life and just pissing it all away. And it was just kind of on his last legs. And, and then uh, I think he actually went to jail and that's how he, that was kind of his bottom. So he started building himself back up and now here he is. Amazing. Max Crosby took, uh, I think Max Crosby was the one who said that uh, he had similar troubles and it was Darren Waller that helped him. Wow. Oh, excuse me. All right. We're back after that uh, unwelcome interruption. And uh, should we uh, go to uh, I recommend? Yeah. So this is the section of the podcast where we recommend a, either a song or a concert or a um, anything really. And uh, just talk about why it's so cool. Um, and uh, Chris, if you have anything to recommend, do it. Len, you want to start us off? Yes. I have a lot to say about my I recommend. Oh, boy. So Corey mine Hart. is it's Corey Hart. I know it. <laughs> mine is the 1983 classic album, First Offense by Corey Hart. <laughs> I actually, I do love that album. Not kidding. But it's good. My actual I recommend is Summer of Soul, a Questlove documentary. And it's about the Harlem Cultural Festival that happened in 1969. And when I started watching it, I thought it was just one big concert, but it actually was over six Sundays in August. And it was going actually from June 9th, June 29th to August 24th, summer of 69. So right around the same time Woodstock was, which was August 15th, the 18th in 1969. But this whole festival was almost lost to history. And so it's not only just, there's like this cool concert footage, but it's also a historical document kind of about what was going on in the black community back then. Cause this concert's only black people and almost all the performers are black. They like splicing interviews and other people commenting about it. And one of the things I thought was really interesting was, so back then was also the moon landing. So everybody they interviewed about the moon landing at this concert, they were like, I don't, I don't care about the moon landing. They're like, why don't they use that money to help poor people? Ah. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that made sense. Even, even today, recently, when Bezos and you know Elon Musk are trying to go into space, so it's the same reaction. You're like, okay, why are you using that money for this? Right, just to go play into space. And I guess Questlove just basically stumbled upon this archive of all these great, this great footage. And listen to some of the people that were in this. So you have a 19 year old Stevie Wonder, and it, in the documentary, it, he kind of bookends it. Cause it's him at the beginning 
then you have to watch to the very end because after the end credits, there's this little Stevie Wonder thing that you should definitely see. You have Mahalia Jackson, you have Gladys Knight and the Pips, The Fifth Dimension, Nina Simone, B.B. King, Staples Singers, and Sly and the Family Stone. So Sly and the Family Stone was at this, and he was also at Woodstock. Wow. And I, I read today that all these people who were at this festival that was, you know, every Sunday for six weeks, they didn't know Sly and the Family Stone was going to be there. So when they came out, everybody went crazy. They were like, I can't believe this. Yeah. And, and it's just it's just great. I loved it. And the two other things about it as far as history is people, especially nowadays, they're talking about how a lot of black history gets erased. And this is one thing that almost got erased. This huge concert thing with all these great performers. It kind of reminds me of the whole thing that was going on with the series Watchmen about the Tulsa thing, mm. you know about that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's something that none of us ever knew about. Yeah. That was not taught. And so this is very relevant to the type of thing that's going on. now. I was like, people are going, okay, wait, let's find out some of these things that have disappeared from history and bring them back to light. And yeah. And the footage is great. And restoring history and he's he got he has 40 hours of footage and somebody was interviewing him and they're like are you gonna release more he's like no <laughs> i'm glad you're you like it so much that you, you yeah want more it was really great i was i was very and i remember we talked about nina simone once on a podcast i was like eh, i'm not so sure about her but uh, at this i get it i get her appeal hmm. from seeing her in concert and how she just grabs the audience and her charisma and everything so now I, I get her. I'd yeah, seen I'd seen the uh, commercial. Oh, it's great! I saw it. It's really good. Oh, you Isn't saw it? it too? Did you say Aretha? There was Aretha there. No, Aretha wasn't there. I don't know what I was saying, but I love the Nina Simone bit, and uh, of course Sly. But it was it's amazing a, who was there. Yeah, it is. That's that's an amazing lineup, and yeah, because that happened right around the time of Woodstock, and of course, who got the most attention? You know, but it's just. It's just surprising that these are huge names. We find out about it now. Right. I mean, you haven't known about Woodstock since I was a little kid. Right. But I never knew about this thing. Oh, well, at the same time, like you say, it was six or six or seven different concerts yeah. in the park. And, and uh, it didn't seem like, I mean, yeah, the crowd was big, but it wasn't like Woodstock, you know, half a million or whatever it was. And, and Woodstock was, you know, just the one weekend of events. So yeah. I can see yeah. probably where it's going to get more media thing because this other thing is kind of like an ongoing, somewhat smaller scale, yeah, thing. But it was a cultural event, like sure. Woodstock. It just happened to be over six Sundays instead of a weekend. Uh, but the, the strength of the acts is just as strong. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, Beav, I definitely highly recommend. Yeah, yeah there's some yeah. guy. Do you remember the guy, the percussionist? They showed him, I forgot his name, but he was someone new to me. He was really good. Somebody I'd never seen before. It's, uh, yeah, it's. He was a famous pretty, percussionist. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what, I'd have to look it up, but we can move on. I'll try to find it while you talk about yours. No, their staff, your staff has let you down. I <laughs> we'll talk about for, that in a minute. I'll let me down. Lives. Yeah. Uh, Where's Roz? 
Toss salad <laughs> and scrambled eggs. Go, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Beeb, what's your recommendation? I recommend a uh, also a documentary. And um, it's something that I've like, been in my queue. I've always wanted to. I was like, I got to watch this. I got to watch this. And finally, I did. And it's a documentary on the author H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, it's called Lovecraft Fear of the Unknown. And it's just a straight up documentary about his life. And, uh, but it's loaded with um, uh, people just giving their thoughts on him from <laughs> Neil Gaiman to uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, to uh, Caitlin Kiernan. Uh, John Carpenter checks in and they just talk about, you know, what made Lovecraft just uh, such an innovator. And, um, you know, just really kind of a, the, the forerunner, kind of taking what Mary Shelley and Edgar Allan Poe did um, as far as the horror genre and really took it to the next level. And, um, and also just gets into Lovecraft, the person who was, a, who was a, uh, it definitely had his issues uh, as well. So, you know, they, they, they just, it's one of these straight up documentaries, you know, covering his uh, birth in Providence, Rhode Island, um, growing up, uh, both of his parents uh, suffered and struggled um, with mental illness um, and uh, died early, leaving him, you know, basically to fend for himself. He was an only child um, and uh, just kind of, lost himself in his art and uh, his fiction and his his insane uh worlds and these characters and monsters that he created and um so if you like literature they get into his writing a little bit um which i enjoyed and just also just the genre itself and just the innovations that he uh put forth and uh, it's really short just an hour and a half but really well done um they, something with the audio mix is weird because the music at some points i was like turn down the music who the hell is doing the sound mix on this i mean <laughs> they were trying to drown out they're trying to drown out his his racist rantings they don't yeah. shy they do not shy from that they that's a given a full treatment um um and um so it, yeah he was he said some and wrote very vile things um anti-semitic xenophobic um and uh and wound up marrying his wife was jewish um so which was interesting um well i think it's another uh i'm a big proponent actually of, of separating art from artists and i i think that's a good example that lovecraft you know the art stands even if the man is a no good Nick. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I'm with you. I don't think if um, probably half of great art, you know, if we, if we judge them by uh, the, the person creating them, we'd be deprived of in, incredible literature, music, what have you. Or, or most of it. Yeah. <laughs> Not to, I think <laughs> most of it. You know, I think the thing that makes an artist, the, the kind of person that is 
living their life with a view that is such that they, you know, that they create these things. They're not normal people. <laughs> they're not. They're not just like us. They're not just regular folk. And uh, and if you want them to be great and produce great things, then you have to accept the the, the rest of it too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And Hemingway is a, another example of that. Uh, that, that, that. He was awful, awful person. <laughs> another Ken, another Ken Burns documentary. Yeah. Burnsy. Yes. He's got a new Muhammad Ali one coming. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah. I'm ready. I think it's out. I think it's out now. Oh, good. Yeah. Because his so daughter was saying that they don't pull any punches on him either. Like they, they, they don't just do the, the highlights. They give you the full picture. I was I really a Joe Frazier fan growing up. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I like when I was a kid, I like all sports. I was into everything sports. And I picked Frazier over Ali. He was my guy. Funny. Oh, I still love boxing. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for the Fury Wilder 3. That'll be a good one. Yeah. That'll be a good one. So that percussionist. That percussionist I was talking about, Ray Barreto. Have you heard of him? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He's really good. They they have him in uh, the Questlove documentary. Very I'm cool. surprised, Beef. He plays a wide variety of Latin music styles as well as Latin jazz. You're well, slipping. You're slipping. You know that's what makes jazz so great is that I can always <laughs> uncover just a, a, a vein of just Latin jazz. I can just sink my teeth into, <laughs> marinate for weeks. Speaking of marinating, why don't we finish up with your album you listen to? Yeah, oh man, real- I'm going to recommend here. Oh, recommend. Oh, you want to recommend? Go ahead. Recommend away. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I first I, I thought I was going to recommend. Um, Jerry Garcia Band, Volume 16. It's the most recent archival release of Jerry Garcia Band. And it's just loaded with great covers of the way you do the things you do, how sweet it is to be loved by you. Uh, it does a great Van Morrison. Uh, he ain't give you none. Um, and the highlight for me is he covers Earth, Wind & Fire's Shining Star. And yes. it is amazingly good. So that was my first thought. But then I thought better of it because how can I... I almost didn't recommend probably one of the better albums that came out last year. Women in Music Part 3 by an unbelievably great trio of sisters, uh, Alana, Danielle, and Esty. <laughs> you, the, the Heim sisters. This uh, I mean, it's, will it's jam. be struck from the record. Jams. <laughs> Beginning to end jams. I had such the a steps is probably the, the wow. stop it. What a great troll to end the podcast. <laughs> I will I I will be revenged. <laughs> <laughs> we made it uh, how many episodes? 63 episodes without a hame reference. And well, then that was soiled. One, <laughs> one horrible sequence. I, I I couldn't resist it. <laughs> it was just laying there in front of you. Yeah, it had time. to be done. Perfectly done. I I applaud you. I was, I was blindsided. Yeah. Perfect. It was uh did you happen to see Conan's last show? Conan O'Brien? 
No. Paul Rudd was a common guest on his show over the years. And every single time when Conan asked him what he wanted to plug, he's like, oh, I brought a clip from this movie. Yes. And he, and he always played this clip of like <laughs> Mac and me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. That made me laugh every time. If, if you can so find funny. the YouTube of, of Conan's last show, Paul Rudd shows up <laughs> <laughs> and he gets him like Conan's waiting for it. And, and Paul Rudd convinces him that he really has a real clip to show. <laughs> <laughs> Conan's like, Oh, okay. Well then let's see it. And it's got to <laughs> back at me. <laughs> so, so Heim is my Mac and me. <laughs> Ah, you are my Mac and me. (laughs) (laughs) You want to do your album real quick, Beeb, and then we'll wrap it up? No, I don't. I want to end (laughs) this podcast and slink away. Yeah, we should end on a high note. And then the ultimate troll. We want to thank. I thought we did it on a high note. I thought we just ended on a high note. Oh, we want to thank our guest for nothing, Christopher Markham and his trolling ways. Turning Len against me. Well, thanks, thanks for so coming much for, on. Thanks so much for having me. I had a blast. Good. Emily, you're great. We did too. We'll have you back on. I would uh, love to. We yeah. will vet your content. <laughs> You get the Heim Vax. It's the Heim variant. You got to protect yourself. <laughs> several boosters to protect me. Uh, well, thanks very oh, much for for uh, for joining. What, Len, what's our topic next week? We're going to talk about the career of Eddie Murphy and my Eddie Murphy bracket, and also talk a little bit about my candy bracket. Oh, much like candy my candy bracket. bar bracket from last year, which was super popular and highly debated. Oh, right, so by candy, though, you mean all candies like orange slices and juji fruits and Mike and I? Yep. And- yeah, I have 96 candies in this bracket. Nice. Any old any old slang type uh, <laughs> bit of honey or. <laughs> yes, I have the I have the separate water fountain candies. to be a good one we'll tune in for that we want to thank chris markham again for joining us uh as always um please if you um like what you hear on jag bags recommend us to a friend or five you can follow us on facebook or twitter or instagram Uh, if you like what you hear please write us a nice review or uh comment um Make it hashtag Jagbags. We also have T-shirts available uh, for the low, low price of $20. Be the cool kid on your block. Buy a Jagbags T-shirt. You will be invited to all the parties. Join uh, all of America. Yes. It is a revolution that is sweeping from coast to coast. Um, and thanks once again for listening. And when you're ready to listen, put a little Jagbags in your ear.